0: From the EBW studios in Austin, Texas, this is EBW Radio, empowering a billion women by 2020.
1: Welcome to EBW Radio, and we are here in Austin, Texas in our studios. I'm JB Hager, your host, and very excited to talk to this woman sitting across from me, Tina Chen. Welcome. Welcome.
0: Well, thank you, JV. I'm pleased to be here. It's
1: I, you know, I'm very excited to talk to you about a lot of things, and and the main thing what we're going to try to accomplish here together on some projects, me and you, mm-hmm. and the you know the other people of EBW. We'll get to that in a second, but I, you just must have such a wonderful life. I'm already. I, I mean, you mean I, the
0: unemployed life that I'm living right I now.
1: I know, you know. So we're going to have to skip a lot of this because <laughs> there's so much happening right now, but. Chicago lawyer, joins the Obama administration as chief of staff to Michelle Obama, spends—were you there all eight years? It was the, all eight years. So the first, eight.
0: for the first two years, actually, I was—I uh, ran the Office of Public Engagement for the president. So that's the outreach office. Okay. So, and then I became her chief of staff two <laughs> years in. So yeah. I did, I did so that for six years.
1: Now you're unemployed. Now I'm unemployed. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm making the assumption you, you know, you— have you got to know them from your lawyering days in Chicago. I did, right? We're doing,
0: doing, you know, um, progressive politics in in Chicago yeah. years and years ago. Long enough uh, ago that neither of the three of us remember how
1: we met. Really? Yeah. And what a whirlwind it has been! Does it? Did the eight years in the White House White House feel like a long time or just a blip?
0: Well, now that we're on this side of it, yeah, it feels like a blip. Right. When we were in the middle of it, I got to tell you, like. You know, those are dog years <laughs> when you're in in the mix because there's so much happening. Every day is jam-packed. Every day is different from the prior one. Um, so it felt like we were packing a lot in. But now I can't believe that the eight years have come and gone.
1: Now you're going to be working with us here at EBW. I am. I'm thrilled. Which I'm very excited about it. In fact, you know, the announcement just went out that you're you're coming on board with us. I'm excited to have you. All of your experience And so much of what we're trying to accomplish here comes down to politics. A lot of it comes down to politics and policy changes. And all of a sudden when uh, it's like you fell from the heavens as someone who's the connector to that, uh, to, to us here at EBW, it almost seemed too good to be true.
0: Uh, well, thank you. Thank you. Well, I'm thrilled because the mission of EBW is something I have been working on for years, including my time in the White House. In addition to being chief of staff to Mrs. Obama, I was also the executive director of the White House Council on Women and Girls. So we really worked on all of the issues concerning women and
1: girls and policies across the federal government
0: and promoting, you know, women business owners and women's entrepreneurship and women's leadership was a big part of that.
1: One of the things that I, I, I know you've been vocal about and, you know, and I've, I've witnessed it, you know, my as my wife stepped out of the workforce to raise our daughter and the demands of that. And she's like the most qualified person for every job I could ever think of. She's far more qualified for, than me than anything. Yet it took her out of the workforce. Yep. And I think that's one of the things that's very important to you. It's like, how can we keep women in the workforce to where there's balance of family, life, work, what they bring to the table, absolutely. Uh, everything? I mean, what an overwhelming task.
0: Well, you know, I've often said, you know, work right now in the United States is organized the same way we've had work organized, not since the last century, but since the century before. I mean, the nine to five, you know, work hours and all of of that structure came about in the Industrial Revolution, and we're still organizing work that way.
1: We're stuck in a mindset where, you know, using my wife as an example, it would take just incredible flexibility for a job. Right. But – She's she's the kind of person that can do more in two exactly. hours in a day than I will in the whole day. I'll be exactly. honest. Exactly. No, it's she's true. very efficient, and it's a lot true. of women are that way. And there's not the flexibility and opportunity. Right.
0: And but we know now that we've got a bo- growing body of experience as companies get smarter about this. That if you do provide your workers with flexibility, you provide them with things like paid leave when they need it. Um, when you promote you know, and retain them. That it actually saves you money because you have workers who are more efficient. You have workers who are more loyal and committed to your company. You're not having to rehire people and retrain them over and over again. Um, I had one small business owner tell me, you know, she was a restaurateur. And I said, well, how do you do it? Everybody says to me, it's too expensive to do these things. She says, I can't afford not to because that's how I get the best talent. And I don't have employee theft. I don't have people suing me. I don't have unhappy workers. I have people who are really invested in growing my business the same way I'm invested in my business because I'm investing in them.
1: And there's a lot to be said for – and we've seen a lot of the studies around here – what women bring to the table in the boardroom too. Absolutely. And they're not – they don't have a seat at the table because the way it's structured. Like you said, nine to five. It just is not – So how are we going to change this? Well,
0: I think (laughs) we we tried in the Obama administration to start doing a lot of things where we um, tried to make sure that pay was equal. You know, we sent out an executive order that required the federal contractors, you know, not penalize workers who talk about their pay. That's one of the ways
1: unequal pay practices, you know, get perpetuated. That That used to be such a no-no to disclose what anyone was making personally or privately, right?
0: It used to be. And it used used to be be be. impolite, right? You weren't supposed to talk about it. But we live in an age now where everybody posts everything on Facebook. (laughs) Seriously. I mean, there's a lot of studies that show the new- Here's my new paycheck. The new generation. (laughs) They post what you're eating, what you're wearing, then what you're making. I mean- I think our new generation of workers don't have that inhibition. And what we actually really know, it's not that keeping pay secret was a benefit to anybody except for the person who was paying out the paycheck who got to then play around with people's salaries and have Mm -hmm. salaries that weren't necessarily related to the work that people did. Um, But pay transparency works. Pay transparency allows workers to measure themselves against their peers I think it keeps, um, it, you know, managers honest on how they evaluate what work people are doing and what work is the same and how much they should be paying each other. Um, and I think it, it builds for more successful companies, not less successful companies.
1: You know, I, I know from some things you said that – and you just kind of mentioned it. It's like, well, we, we tried to do a lot of these things. We tried to make a lot of policy changes, and right. you hit a lot of roadblocks. That's just kind of— that's could not how... pay,
0: get Could not get paid leave. United States is still, you know, one of only two countries in the world yeah. without a national paid leave policy.
1: And so as you tried to make these changes with policy and then you hit roadblocks, you know, there's—it's just that's what happens, unfortunately. What I'm dying to know is you personally and your friends, the Obamas, do you think that you can be more effective in the private sector— post-presidency on this exact issue?
0: Oh, I do. I mean, one of the things when we ran into those roadblocks um, we did was to appeal directly to the private sector to voluntarily adopt some of these practices because we believe and we put out a lot of economic studies to back it up that you these, these practices are good to do not just because they're the right thing, which they are for workers and their families, but because it actually makes the company more competitive and it makes the country more competitive. And it's not sustainable for the United States to compete in a global economy if we have pay practices that are behind the times, if we we continue to be the only country that doesn't have paid leave. um, Because we won't get the best talent and companies will go elsewhere.
1: Is there a country that you look to as a good model that you'd like to emulate?
0: You know, there's a lot of – and a lot of the pay you know, pay equity and paid leave policies, the Scandinavian countries, you know, have instituted paid leave. They've also instituted, you know, criteria for how many um, women should be on boards and in, in leadership. Um, uh, a lot of the common – UK commonwealth countries are doing the same, you um, but it's also true that there's no country that's done it right. I mean, the, the statistics show that, you know, there's no country that's at 50% participation of women, you know, in leadership.
1: Yeah, and we're we're honest, you could say, everywhere in the world is behind on the roles that women can play in society, right? Absolutely. Everybody's behind on some Everybody
0: level. Everybody is. I, I, I gave a speech to a girls' school in London two weeks ago, and one of the things I said was, you know, the one thing that seems to have transcended um, time and geography and culture is gender inequity. It's pernicious, it's persistent, but you look across culture, um, it's it's the, the same issues that are keeping girls from school in Pakistan or in sub-Saharan Africa are the same things that keep girls out of STEM education here in the United States or keep women
1: out of the boardroom. You know, um, as part of what you want to accomplish um, you know, going forward, it, you mentioned speaking to some girls. Uh, do you have an initiative working with young girls on what's possible, To And I'll give you an example. Literally, my wife showed, made me watch a video this morning. I shouldn't say made me. Right. She gave me the opportunity to watch a really <laughs> good video. And it was uh, someone going through a bookstore and pulling out all the children's books and, oh, yeah. and showing how few had a girl in the lead as the lead character. Yep. Yep. These are literally children's books. And how the boys are portrayed, and this is i am am talking, age three, four, five mm-hmm. level. It starts right there, it and it was an eye opener, right. for me. And so, you know, EBW and what we're doing here, and what you're going to work with us on, is working with entrepreneurs and and business leaders, women in particular. But, you know. What, we need a wake-up call with the kids, too, don't we?
0: Well, we do, and you know we did some things in the White House, and I'm continuing to do, to do some things out of the White House, too. One of the things we did around addressing some of the, the media bias and the issues that our kids see and the, what they see in their toys, right? So mm-hmm. boys get building toys, girls don't, um, was to convene we, we actually convened a White House summit on this last year where we brought toy manufacturers and the media people and you know folks from Marvel and Disney and elsewhere, um, but also people from the retailers like Toys R Us and Target to come together to talk about how we can break down those barriers. Because guess what? It's actually good for the business. You know, You, know, you can sell more toys if you're selling Them not girls' toys and boys' toys, right? Um, But it was interesting because one of the things I learned there was the manufacturer said, "Well, the shop, the store space, you know, at Toys R Us is girls' toys and boys' toys. Mm -hmm. We got to market to the space." And you know, the the stores are saying, "Well, those are the toys you're giving us." It was a bad cycle, and we started to break those down. And I think you're now seeing more and more stores that are just marketing. You know, Disney did a thing, you know, two two Halloweens ago. Where they stopped labeling their Halloween costumes, boy Halloween costumes and girl uh. Halloween costumes. A girl wants to go in there and be Superman, she can go in there and buy, you mm-hmm. know, buy the Superman costume, you know, and, and and that was, you know, I think a breakthrough that we're seeing more and more. So we're continuing some of that work at a United State of Women. Summit. Okay. You know, we had a summit last year with 5,000 women, the president spoke at, the first lady, the vice president. Um, we are keeping that going. Um, the United State of Women is a 501c3 um, that is doing, you know, grassroots organizing on the whole range of issues, including on these issues like how do we speak
1: to young women mm-hmm. and girls. Well, you just made me realize it's, it's primitive thinking to think about a store and shelf space and putting them in an aisle because it's like the virtual world of shopping right. We aren't going to the store specifically yeah. anymore.
0: Well, but then the website shouldn't be organized that way either. Right. so you just think and then it's easier. It's not like having to rearrange the physical space. but then we ought to be marketing you know on the website you ought to be able to find construction toys, right or science yeah. toys and it shouldn't be gendered. In who, you know, who, 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 we're not gonna just market the science toys to the boys. I think the
1: consumers want that. We were conscious of it raising my daughter, and true story, I picked out a blue bike for her as yeah. her first bike, and she cried that it wasn't pink.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Well, it happens. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's what happens in media. But that's why, you know, I love that I think the media companies are coming around. I love that, you know, Rogue One, you know, and you know, know Star and Wars has great strong women. Yes. I love that the Wonder Woman movie is coming out in in uh, this summer. You know, that I think the message is finally coming across. And those kinds of cultural, you know, cues that we give mm-hmm. our kids are important.
1: You know, and I, I joke about that because... Um, That was the only pink thing she ever wanted. I mean, she (laughs) was was, the bike. (laughs) I couldn't peel her out of the Spider Man costume, which you happened to mention. Right. So, but we were as consumers, we were consciously trying not to be gender biased. Right. And so, if we were that way uh, 15 years ago, I've got to think this whole next generation of parents are going to be even more conscious of that.
0: Right. Well, and we've tried to, you know, we did a lot of trying to promote role models. You know, you know, you can't be what you can't see. So I'm really proud of the fact that, you know, um, that movie Hidden Figures about Katherine Johnson, well, that it was President Obama who really brought her into the spotlight by giving her the Medal of Freedom two years ago. Yeah. And, and that and that was a, you know, a real achievement. And it was a story none of us knew until he did that of what happened, you know, with those amazing African-American women scientists who were part of the space program.
1: Well, it had to be... Uh... You know, talking about you know equality across racial barriers and gender, it had to be so great to see your good friend Michelle Obama do such, be such a great role model. Well, not she's only amazing. Barack but Michelle and yourself, and you know, in your role there, yeah, it was a, you know, it was a very pivotal presidency on a for a lot of reasons.
0: Well, I I like to think so. I think we did. I think you know, not just changing policy but changing culture, right, and changing how people think about these issues and a whole range of issues. And, you know, it was amazing to work with her. And, you know, part of the magic that she – conveys is she is always who she is. You know, you know, the messages she conveyed are the messages she believes and she's lived by. And, you know, there there's no difference between the public Michelle Obama and the private Michelle Obama, really? No, there's really not.
1: there's nothing like if some if I was to ask you, like, what is one thing about Michelle Obama the public would really be surprised about? It's all out on the table.
0: it's it's really all out on the table. I mean yeah. I mean, I can trying to think of something. That there is and there's really not. You know, the she's a privately she's a mom and she cares about that. Privately she's somebody who cares a lot about these issues and, you know, was always really strategic. Um, you know, how are we going to speak out in a way that makes a difference? You know, how are we gonna allocate her time in a way that made a difference? You know, and if something wasn't gonna make a difference, then maybe we shouldn't be doing it. Um, but that's all part of the package, I think, that the American public saw. I think that's why she was um, resonated with so many people, is because they could tell that she was really being her
1: authentic self. Is it weird to drive by the White House and not go in there now? <laughs> Or can I you still did, go in? It's so
0: funny. I only just did it for the first time. we're in what? Wait, like week six, seven. Right? I only just did it for the first time last week, where we even went close, you know, to the neighborhood of the White House. It had to be and bizarre. It is, it is weird. I mean, it. You know, for eight years, I had the great privilege of being able to drive through those gates and walk in that building, and it was truly a privilege. And we really yeah. felt it every day. You know, walk across the Rose Garden every morning. Um, you know, you know, have meetings in the Oval Office. Uh, you know, the amount of history and the symbol that that building is um, for our country um, is, you know, it really comes home when you're going there every day. And I think we all felt that privilege.
1: Was there um, I think mean, what was your favorite moment in the during the whole two terms? Let's take the <laughs> inauguration nights out of it. Was there one moment where you just go, like maybe it emotionally almost brought you to tears, or you're oh, like, there a lot. or you're like, <laughs> I have to take a mental picture of this defining moment right there. Yeah. Did you ever have a? Little well, there's like, like a that?
0: lot. There's a, no. There I really. Know. There were so many. There were so many. Um, I mean, I can't. I'm not sure I can even go through all of them. There's the moment, you know, when. We were, you know, signing. The president was sign, early in the first term signing, you know, a bill, you know, in, that included protections for Native American women, who, you know, who um, who were getting violated on, on, on the reservations, you know, without any legal recourse. And the woman who was introducing him, you know, uh, was someone who had suffered violence in her home and broke down. And we're waiting back in the green room while she was giving her introduction. He could tell, you know, that she, had, you know, was 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 starting to cry during her introduction. And he just walked out there, stood behind her, put his hand on her shoulder, just stood with her. You know, there, there 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 was that moment. There was a moment when um, we used to bring kids that the first lady would meet. We'd go out and visit them in their high schools, um, and then we always tried to bring them back to the White House. But we'd always just tell them they were coming in for a tour. We wouldn't mm-hmm. say we wouldn't say what they were coming in for. You know, and they would get to meet with me, right, <laughs> or, or our education, you know, uh, director. And you know, it's always an amazing moment when yeah, they're just sitting around talking to us, and they think that's cool because they were in the White House. And then the first lady walks in, and just. You know, tears, but laughter. And then she will sit with them, and you know, you're changing those kids' lives. They've you never thought, you know, the kids are from Southeast DC who never, you know, live in the shadow of the White House, but had never been near it. And now they get to be there and, and sit with the first lady. And she was always so good at really making sure that those kids understood she was a girl from the south side of Chicago. She mm-hmm. came from parents who didn't go to college. Um, she went to public schools in Chicago. And She's a lot like those kids. And we had one girl we met in Harper High School in Chicago, which is a school that had had 22 kids who had been shot in the year prior to the visit time we visited them. And after about an hour and a half of this kind of conversation with these kids, one of the girls just burst into tears and said, do you see what she's saying? She's saying we can be like her, Mm -hmm. you know, and no one had ever said that to that girl before.
1: What about what about you? Did you always know they're getting rowdy next door? Yeah, sounds like Ingrid showed up. Ah. It's like ah. you it's can like, tell the energy level goes up. Yep. Yeah, sorry. Just have them go in the other room next door, and then we'll pick back up. <laughs> <laughs> the tornado has entered. <laughs> <laughs> I think I thought I heard. Her. Oh, it may have been Lily. Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, let's pick right. back up. Let's no, what about you? Did you, as a young girl, know that such big things would be in your future? Oh, no, or was it, I mean, were these cards laid out for you, no. or was it miraculous how everything? It's came pretty to
0: miraculous. Go? Remember, I am the daughter of Chinese immigrants. Um, really, I this, these days I like to emphasize my parents were Chinese refugees. You know, they were refugees coming out of right after World War II. You know, as China was going through its revolution, you know, came to the United States, um, living in, you know, growing up in Ohio, not a lot of Chinese people in Ohio at the time. <laughs> um, and so, no, this was by no means something I ever thought I would do. Um, we had only girls in my family. I'm, I'm the oldest of two girls. And I think what my dad did, you know, and, and he's the guy who really in the very Chinese tradition way, was expecting a son, you know, so much so that about three days after I was born, he was still referring to me as though I was a boy to my mother. She said, you know, remember (laughs) she's a girl. (laughs) (laughs) But he pretty quickly, you know, just came around on that and I think imbued into my sister and myself all of the same ambitions that he would have had for a son into the two of us, you know, without missing a beat. And we grew up without any sense that there was things that we couldn't do. Instead, you know, he had very high aspirations for us both. Um, And so we were able to be supported in that and had parents who believed in us. Um, Even, you know, as we were, you know, kind of a little bit of fish out of water oftentimes, you know, I grew up in a Jewish neighborhood so figure go figure <laughs> right but um but had a wonderful childhood that felt warm and supportive even even still um but also gave me a lot of strength and belief in myself to go through what would happen later what lots of professional women face which is you know you know what are you what are you doing here you know mm-hmm. come to represent me on my big case you know that i'm in trouble with so
1: when did you get your swagger no <laughs> Was it like when you were ten years old? Was oh, it no. high school? Was it no, going off to college? No. no. Was it winning if your first case? When did you get some swagger? Uh, you know, because you've th- got swagger. Oh, no. <laughs> and you and I just met. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> <laughs> you
0: know, I think it comes over time. There's no like a magic moment. It's accumulation of experiences and support and successes and failures. You know, there's a lot of failures along the way that you have to pick yourself up from. And you learn that you can survive the failures um, and you can live through them. And that gives you the strength and the courage to keep trying new things. Um, uh, But it happened, you know, I think it happened really gradually over time. Um, And again, you know, I had the great good fortune to have great friends, great girlfriends who have been supportive a great family that's been supportive, um, uh, and so I think those, the, the, those, those, that's what's happened. There hasn't, hasn't been one moment.
1: After all those years in the White House, it's probably hard to figure out who your real friends are. Well, is it the same friends from before that? Experience? Well, yeah.
0: I mean, I'm going home to Chicago as soon as my. House in Chicago is, is, is done getting renovated uh, in part because my, you know, my lifelong friends and girlfriends, yeah. you know, are there. Um, the team that we had, you know, the Obama I, I often used to say when people would leave the White House that they're part of a family now, you know, and that family, you know, is going to last forever. And I do feel that, you know, the Obama family, meaning the broad family of those of us who worked on the campaigns or worked in the White House, um, worked across the administration, not just in the White House, you know, in these six weeks have really, stuck together you know and people are helping each other find jobs people are helping each other in you know their activities whether it's like united state of women that i'm Mm. working on or it's my brother's keeper that other folks are working on or the obama foundation itself you know um or just political activism that people are doing right now um on you know Making sure we can protect the Affordable Care Act, or we protect, you know, our, you know, the, our DACA kids, you know, and the immigration reform, um, and everyone's still pulling together and connected. And I think those are connections that will last forever. We've got several Obama folks who, you know, grew up on our campaigns are running for office. Michael Blake just got elected vice chair of the DNC. You know, um, we've got folks running for Congress, and we're all supporting them. It's pretty mm-hmm. exciting.
1: You never think about it when there's. Uh, uh changing of the guards. You don't think about all the displaced people.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, we had, there's over about 3,000 wow. political appointees. You just don't think about Who that. lose
1: their job right away. Just- yeah. Immediately, yep. did you steal anything from the White House?
0: Yeah, <laughs> no, J.B., I did not. No, Some
1: kind of souvenir. Oh no, no,
0: no, no! Nothing. I have lots of souvenirs, which are kind of like some of the things I bought, <laughs> right? That we were able, to, and we, we, you know, we have photos. We have some great, great, great photos that we're you know. I, able to keep.
1: I don't want to uh, get ahead of ourselves, but one of the things while while you're here visiting with EBW during South by Southwest is we're gonna we're gonna sit down and talk about a mentor series. Yes. So we. It's not like I can have you lay out the plan because we haven't even had that meeting yet, <laughs> which right. I'm really looking forward to. So without um, without describing exactly what it is, what would you like to accomplish as a mentor series for women out there trying to grow a business, take care of their family too, which we've right. talked about is important, um, get opportunity, all these things that we're working on here, what would you like your, you know, the mentor series that you're going to put your stamp on, what would you like it to accomplish?
0: Well, I think one of the things that women often lose confidence, I've lost my confidence at times, you know, and you're not sure you want to speak up in a meeting, or you're not really sure you can take on that big case, or in the case of women who are doing their own businesses, I'm not really sure I can hire that extra employee or rent another space to open a second location or sign this contract, you know, to really be a supplier to something like a Walmart. Um, And that's because the messages we get so oftentimes, you know, are the opposite, you know, meaning, you know, women aren't encouraged to take those kinds of risks. You know, our confidence isn't built up. And I hope through the mentorship, you know, series, we can, Tell the stories of lots of women, some well-known, maybe some not so well-known. Talk about struggles that they've overcome. You know, talk about strategies for how do you balance, you know, work and, you know, family. Um, you know, how do you make women feel really good about the choices that they're making? Know your kids are going to be fine. You know, if, if, <laughs> if you're not home every night, they're still going to be fine. Um, one One of my favorites I often say is so – You know, piece of advice, I gave my next door neighbor who was also a single mom, you know, um, our kids were about the same age and she was stressing out about the fact that she, you know, had a hole in her ceiling. And I said, like, stop. Is it leaking? No. You you put the hole in the ceiling to fix, you know, to fix the plumbing. Don't worry about fixing it. I lived with a hole in my (laughs) second floor bathroom for 10 years because we had to fix the leak. But then... It was the second floor bathroom, which no one saw. And so I just didn't stress about fixing the hole in the oh second floor gosh. bathroom for 10 You're years. You're just
1: making me think of my wife. who She is an amazing, amazing woman. But when we have people over, I have to pull her aside and go, stop apologizing for things that aren't done in the home. Right. They're not even noticing them.
0: No. You got to <laughs> let go of some of that stuff and, and prioritize. I mean, and it's, that's what I did, you know. And one of the things, even as a single working mom, you know, at a big corporate law firm, which is what I did for 23 years, um, you know, because I think my kids knew they were the most important thing always, um, and the hole in the bathroom ceiling wasn't, is how, you know, they've grown up, they're now, you know, 20 and 28, and, you know, they, they are confident and loving and generous and, you know, successful kids, and I think um, at, from a working single mom. And I think that's because, you know, they knew they were my priority, even as we were balancing lots of other things.
1: Is uh, lawyering in the cards for you again? Could be.
0: Could be. I'm like trying to take my time, (laughs) trying to think about things, not get too nervous about being unemployed. Never been unemployed my entire life. I had an interesting moment. I gave a political contribution to one of our Obama kids who was running for office. And there's that piece on the political form that says, you know, where are you employed?
1: uh And I had to like... (laughs)
0: <laughs> right. Unemployed. <laughs> it was sort of weird. All those surveys <laughs>
1: where you put your income range. You're right. like, oh no. Yeah,
0: right. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a new experience, but everyone's advised me, don't panic, take your time, think about, you know, what what's what's the right fit. And that's why I'm really excited about this opportunity with EBW, because it is very much something that's part of my passion, something I've wanted to do. But, you know, let's 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 build a business together.
1: Well, we look forward to it, and we're so grateful to have you here and and contributing to EBW. We can't start fast enough. Oh, I'm thrilled! I'm right. thrilled. Well, it's been a pleasure talking to you, Tina Chen. I, I just I really really enjoyed this. Oh, great! Well, thank you, JV. Thank you. This is EBW Radio.
0: Thanks for listening to EBW Radio, empowering a billion women by 2020.